Heavenly Father, the psalmist cries out, out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark out our iniquities, who could stand? But the psalmist also declares clearly there is forgiveness with you. That you may be feared. That you may be regarded, that you may be understood. And we do thank you that you do work in us to bring conviction of sin and through your word to make known the manifold glories that are accounted for throughout time and even before time and even into eternity. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your care that you give to us as a mother would her child or infant child. You feed us. And even as we uh, earlier spoke of, of the supper, that you have given us even that to remind us of the union that we have with you. And in reminding us of that union, also reminding us of the cost of that union. That you, Father, would give the Son to be broken, to bleed on our behalf. And that through the Spirit, you would even raise him again. That you would unite us so that his death was our death. And that his, the punishment that he received that we deserved is imputed to us. That we can come before you here and stand with boldness and call you our God and Father. We give you thanks. We do ask that you would minister to us and in ministering to us, you know already, Lord, we need one to come here. We need a man of your calling, one who can clearly teach, clearly speak of your goodness, of your grace. One who is well-trained, one who is, uh, has his face toward you and in service to you. First and foremost, one who cares for his family, one who cares regarding his own personal life, but also and particularly cares for the church, for your people. Not only here, but wherever your people meet. But we do pray, Lord, that you would have your hand upon the one that you would have to come here that would minister to us and maybe not even the way we think or would hope or want but the way you want 
And we do ask that you would again bless the church as we seek through our uh, somewhat formal process of, of having a search committee, meeting as a consistory, um, to, uh, and again, this process that we're going through, Lord, our desire is your desire, your will. We pray you would lead us in all of that. Lord, there are many issues in our church that continue to um, cause great struggle, individual, and in some cases, corporate. But Lord, we thank you that you are the God of peace also. You are the one who brings resolution and reconciliation. You are the one who uh, brings about the training that we need. You are the one who uh, works uh, among us to, as we seek to reach out to those in our community and to declare the glory of your name and to beseech men to come and to be instructed. And we look to you then, Lord, to bring about the salvation that only you can bring about and to leave us as the song or hymn that we just sang why was I called? Undeserving sinners. Brought into the church. Established in Christ. Established as your members of your body. We pray, Lord, to this end. We pray that you would bless uh, the RCUS, we pray particularly for our own home mission work in Pella, the pastor of Chuck Meather. We pray that you would uh, bless that effort, that it would become a, a, a true uh, light in, in a town in Iowa. That you would bless the various places that the RCUS meets from San Diego to up into the California to the West and Colorado and Wyoming and Lord, many places as a denomination that we are spread out. And yet each and every one of them are what you planted. We pray Lord for the denomination that it would do according to your will we pray for a number of pastors who struggle and continue to struggle, that you would guide and direct them. Uh, we have many aging pastors. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless them with strength to carry on the mission that you have given them. And now, Lord, we do ask that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would bless the, uh, 
the message, uh, Lord, that you would uh, preserve this uh, to yourself, uh, that I would not speak uh, in a way to go to the right or to the left, but that would be clear. And again, we thank you for your mercy, for the strength that you give us. And again, we ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 7. Now I've been teaching out of 1 Corinthians in the Bible instruction time and I've been teaching up to chapter 7 and actually did one study on chapter 7. And so today I'm going to focus in on verses 17 to 24, uh, but in order to get us uh, sort of back into 1 Corinthians, because it's been a while, I want to begin with verse 1 of uh, chapter 7 and then read through to 24. So let's hear uh, the word of God. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come again together, come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such a case, as God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can, be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. And we'll stop there. So the beginning of this chapter, just by way of review, Paul begins a discussion about marriage and the principles of marriage. And he begins by, again, encouraging the Corinthians who are obviously struggling with the whole issue of marriage and relationships between men and women, or men and women as is reflected early on when he rebukes the Corinthian church uh, regarding this man who was essentially living uh, with his mother's husband. So Paul clearly has in mind to address the issues of marriage. And again, Corinth is not a Jewish city. <laughs> it's a Greek city. And the practices of the Greeks at that time was far different than that which was being practiced in uh, Judea, for example. Um, not to say that there weren't, wasn't sin going on in Judea and, and in, the, in the land of Israel, but um, the law of God was there as the, the point of correction. In Corinth, you didn't really have that kind of law, except for that there was some synagogues in Corinth that would have been able to communicate some of this. And so Paul begins by talking about sexual immorality, and he does make a blanket statement. Each man uh, should have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. The husband surrender to his wife, the affection that is due her, likewise the wife to her husband. 
the wife does not have authority over her her own her husband or excuse me doesn't have authority over her own body but her husband does her husband doesn't have authority over his body but his wife does and um, in that you see that that Paul is addressing women the same way he's addressing men. He doesn't say, uh, let each man have his own wife and women don't worry about it, okay? Or anything like that. He's, he's speaking both to both, of, um, both parties, if you would, in the same way. And then he comes to verse five where he says, do not deprive one another without consent for unless it be, for example, fasting and prayer. But again, even there, do not uh, postpone that too long or, or carry that on too long as it may become a temptation. And he even says that Satan uh, himself would not tempt. Paul also describes in verse six that, that marriage uh, is a, a gift, but he also says it is a gift to remain unmarried. But obviously, based on what he's already said, if it's an issue that there's, there's a problem with burning with passion, so forth, that remaining unmarried is not the right thing to do. Uh, Paul is not giving a command regarding remaining unmarried, and he makes that clear. Um, and he does speak again of it as being a gift. Um, and notice he doesn't really describe being in self-control as a gift. So there's a requirement to be in self-control. but. The, essentially what he's saying is if you can't, don't have that self-control, then yes, you should marry. Then he goes again, it's similar to what I was just talking about, husband and wife, except now he switches over to wife and to husband. In verse 10, command is that wife is not to depart if she does not, um, uh, and that, that if there's an issue going on, she's not to just leave, um, uh, but she's rather to seek resolution, and likewise, a husband is not to divorce, which was a, a pattern that had been adopted in the synagogue um, uh, by many. Christ addresses the, the same thing, um, and that it's, it's not what was intended. Um, so then the question comes, well, what if my wife is a non-believer and I got converted, she didn't? And Paul's recommendation here um, is that as long as possible and feasible to remain. And again, to continue to seek uh, that reconciliation and to hopefully actually see that spouse uh, come to know uh, the Lord and to believe. And he makes a statement, 14 unbelieving husbands uh, may be sanctified by their wife, unbelieving wives may be sanctified by their husbands. 
But basically, if you have a situation where one believes and one doesn't, and the one who doesn't believe leaves, he's saying, uh, let them go. So, he's, uh, I'm going into a little bit of depth on all this, but notice that uh, a lot of this is talking about marriage, talking about our relationship with our spouse, our relationship if we're, if we're unmarried with, with others and how that is to work out, whether or not I'm to even seek to be married. Um, and then Paul jumps into um, verse 17, where he says, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. Okay, but the issue is not marriage now. He did make a reference to the fact that if somebody were to remain unmarried, that it was a gift of God to do so. But now he's zeroing in a little bit more on what is um, God's calling. And in giving a calling, what is the gifts that God is giving to us? but God has distributed to each one, that is the gifts, as the Lord has called each one. God does not call us with the expectations we gotta go figure it out. God calls us with the expectation that he will give us what we need in order to fulfill that calling. Now that doesn't mean, particularly when you think of ministers, that they don't have to study, that they don't have to learn languages, that they don't have to uh, learn and understand the various doctrines of the church. Not at all. They need to. But God gives the gifts requisite to that. And he says then, uh, rather, almost strange thing to, to us, I think, uh, is was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be, come circumcised. Now, how you uncircumcise someone, I don't want to go into. But the whole notion is, verse 19, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing. So what's he, what's he talking about? He's talking about outward appearances. Okay? He's talking about uh, the various ways that we demonstrate, if you would, by actions, our faith and our practice. And yet, what he's saying here, in terms of, of a sign, if you would, and I, I think you could almost associate it with uh, people who like to wear a cross, okay? Uh, some would say, I don't want to see a cross at all, and I understand that. And yet at the same time, do we really want to look at somebody who's wearing a cross and say, well, I'm not talking to that one. 
you know, we, we can't. Why? Because that, those kinds of symbols are nothing. They're not to be something that, that should, in a sense, even occupy our time. And then Paul goes back in verse 20 to a basic point, and it's really my only point in this message. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Let each one remain in the same. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. Now I think that deserves a little bit of unpacking because we're talking about Paul speaking to the church in Corinth and what slaves were at that time. And the practice of slavery was considerably different than what it was in the United States, particularly in the pre-Civil War period. It was slavery, there was bondage, but there was also a, a lot of code that went along with that code of law uh, by the authorities in, ter in terms of how that was done. Oftentimes slavery was a matter of somebody who was captured in a war. They were made slaves, servants. They didn't have rights. They weren't considered in a essence citizens. But they had opportunity to become citizens, which is why Paul says if you if you can become made free in verse 21, rather use it. So Paul is saying, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. And again, he says before that, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So he goes to this illustration, if you would, of slavery, okay? And he says uh, in verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become the slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called, verse 24. So you have this little piece in here that all of a sudden jumps from the whole issue of the relationship of men and women and men and women in marriage to the issue of being called and serving in the place that God has put us in that calling that he's given us. And then at verse 25, he jumps where? Now concerning virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as to one whom the Lord is, one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose therefore that this is good because of the present distress that it is good 
for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. But I would spare you. So he goes back, in a sense, to the whole issue of getting married or not getting married. But right in the middle there, we have this section about being called. And the example of being called is that you have a person who's a slave, okay? I think this could also, he could also have gone to, if you're in the military, you made a commitment. You raised your right hand and said, you will follow the Uniform Code of Military Justice from whatever your term is. And that is a vow. And as believers, we are to do what? Keep our vows. And so we are bound by these things that we do. We're bound by things that we say. We sign a contract and we're bound by those things. So the principle that Paul is after is that we understand our calling in Christ. We understand our calling as God has established for us. And it, it is one of the greatest problems, I think, that faces humanity, if I could be that broad, but particularly many in the church, is a spirit of discontentment. A spirit that says, I don't know I really believe, I don't know I really belong here. I don't know that I really like this idea of the RCUS being so broad, and I don't know that I really like uh, the lighting in here. It's really kind of strange, and I don't, and we can go down this road of discontent, one after another after another. I don't like this, I don't like that, I can't believe God would put me here. That God called me to be here. That God called me to be married to whom I'm married. That God called me even under some form of bondage that I have, whether it be slavery, military, I, I, I had a professor one time, taught Greek at Covenant College. And he told me one day, I was talking to him and I was telling him the various things I did in life up to that point, which was I was in the Air Force, I was in law enforcement, I did remodeling work, I ran campgrounds, I da 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 da, -da all kinds of things. And he said, wow. He says, I have my doctorate in Greek and I don't know I can do anything else but teach Greek. It's like, well, that's all right, isn't it? <laughs> you know, 
And that's sometimes how we get to feel that if we're, we're somehow limited because we have this calling that God has put upon us. But if the calling has come from God, are we limited? I'll try that again. If we have this call upon us from God, are we limited? Do we have a true cause to say, I am discontent with where God has brought me today? We don't. We don't. We absolutely do not. And that's Paul's point. You were bought at a price. He says, do not become slaves of men. He's not trying to say that we're just to lay down as believers at every turn and just give ourselves away. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying if you are a slave, what are you? You're a freed man in Christ. Why? Because he called you when you were in that place. Now, he certainly doesn't say if you're a slave and you're in that kind of a bondage situation, you should never leave it. He does not say that. He says the opposite. If you have the opportunity, go. But the idea behind this is that we are content with where God has us, that we know for sure that our calling is absolutely sure in Christ. Christ is the one who is working out through the Holy Spirit, through the Father, to bring us to glory. That's the end. And so we have to be very careful to, to comprehend that and to understand that our time is short. And Paul says that much when he's speaking to, again, virgins and, and, or single men in, in terms of do not marry. Why? Because you would have trouble in the flesh. And he goes on to speak of the fact that um, it, it is a matter of time. It's a matter of uh, the time is short. Verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away but I want you to be without care. Without care. That is not complaining. Because when we have a whole load of cares, what happens? We immediately begin to develop the complaints. And it's a natural thing to do. And none of us are, 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 you know, exempt from that. 
And so Paul is bringing us this message. He's bringing this message to the Corinthians who were in one of the, you could say, uh, godless cities. It was not a city that was just filled with believers. You had every form of, of worship going on in Corinth. And, and you had people who were high financers, big money was in Corinth. It was a, a town where the ships came in, ships went out, and transactions happened left and right. Okay? And Paul's saying, where were you when you were called? And the whole point of that is that what little bit of time we spend on this earth, what little bit of time that we have given to us our focus, our life, is in God. It's in the very thing that we talked about regarding the Lord's Supper. It's seeing ourselves and understanding that all this stuff will pass away. And so what is the primary goal? What is the purpose that we have? The purpose is that we continually seek the Lord, seek his will, and understand what he has called us to. And be thankful for that, first of all. But second of all, to live as God has called us. The idea that once we become a Christian, we get to shed everything that we are and we're stepping into a whole new life. That's not Christianity. We are saved where we're at. Divorced? In the midst of a divorce? In the midst of a wonderful marriage? As somebody who's single? Even to the point of somebody who's in slavery? Where we are called is where God called us. And our life is now transformed. We've been bought at a price. And so our life is no longer ours in that sense to live because we are slaves to God, to his praise, to his glory. It's a good thing. We can rejoice in that. So. One of the reasons why I deviated the last, last week and went to talk to, about faith and how faith unfolds is that is exactly what this is all talking about. A lot of details in it, but the heart of it is we look to God for all things. We look to him to satisfy. We look to him to bring about the man that we would have to come here and minister to us. We look to him to build our families, to deal with any issues that we face. We look to him to resolve any other kinds of uh, issues of relationships. We look to him to resolve pressures from jobs. We look to him to resolve financial needs. We look to him for all things because he bought us and he owns us.
And so for us is to be content and to continue to give the praise and the glory that is due his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you do indeed put your calling upon us and that none of us are without that calling that are in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us. Because we know that sometimes things in this life change and we move from one occupation to another. We have various things that cause distresses in our life. Uh, where there's even the possibility of losing a spouse. But there's nothing that you do not establish us. There's nothing that you do not minister to us. And we're thankful for that. We ask that you would bless again uh, the application of your word to our hearts um, and to your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.